0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our evening service. Uh, it's a pleasure tonight to have Scott Macleod with us again. Scott is about to uh, go to the Edinburgh Theological Seminary to train for the ministry, and uh, we've had him here already and enjoyed his previous uh, ministry with us. We look forward uh, to hearing God's word from him tonight. So we uh, now look forward to Scott leading uh, worship and pray for God's blessing. Good to be back with you again and thank you for your warm welcome. May we join our hearts together in us. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you in the evening, hour of your day, and we pray that as we gather in your name, that we would know your peace, that you would still our hearts, and that you would open your word to us as we attempt to understand it. And teach it. And present it before people. Lord we pray that your spirit. Would accompany me. Accompany our efforts. Lord we pray. And acknowledge that we need your spirit. A spirit that would enlighten our hearts. A spirit that would open our eyes. A spirit that would unblock our ears. Lord we pray. As we sit here. We may know of you. Being with us. The presence of your spirit. And Lord we thank you for your word. A word that teaches us. Who you are. Who your son is. What he has done for us. A provision of grace. And the root of salvation. Salvation that cleanses us. From our sins. And that provides an escape. For the punishment that is required of them by God. Lord we pray. That we would know what it means to trust in Jesus Christ. That we would fall before him and acknowledge that we are sinners. And we see the sin within us. And we say to ourselves that it is dirty in our eyes. It is something that we want to rid ourselves of. And Lord, these things that are in us, they condemn us to death. Lord, we come to you confessing these things. As each of us must. And that you are one that promises to part them from You are one that strokes out all these sins and accounts them to your name. You have paid the price for the sins. You have paid the fine that sin demands. So we can go free. Lord, what grace we know. Those who trust in you, to whom else can we go? Lord, we ask that you would be with us in our lives and every step that we take in each direction that you bring each of us into. Lord, you know our experiences. You know the depths of our hearts. You know the hairs on our heads. And you know what tomorrow is for each of us. Lord, we pray that you would be with us. We pray that we would be people that would seek you daily, seek you as we rise, and that we would ask you to be the one that would accompany your servants. In every step that we take, that you would be our master of our lives. Lord, we pray this for those who do not know you. We pray for souls that are lost within this village, within this island. Lord, give us a burden for them. And if nothing else, may we pray for them. Pray that you reveal yourself to them in your own mysterious ways. And Lord, we would love to tell them the gospel to tell them about what Jesus Christ has done for us, as we should never hide away these things. But Lord, we don't know how best to. We don't know when our words would be as fresh as a flowing stream to nourish these people and refresh them. But Lord, we pray that in everything we do, we would never be ashamed to speak of what you have done for us. And most of the time we are unaware of how you work in the lives of others. And many times it amazes us how you work in lives. Lord, continue to amaze us, we ask. May you be one that we stand before of him with awe and reverence. You are God, almighty, all-powerful, righteous, gracious. You are a just God. You are a loving God. And you are a true God. And you are one God. You are one that we must come to, to have our souls saved. Lord we pray for our nation. We pray that we would be a nation that would return to your word. We pray that our leader should return to your word. We pray for our government at this time that seems so much at unrest. Lord we look about and the nation seems to be ruled by confusion nobody knows their left from their right. There is no direction let us as we sit here this evening look to you You will be the stability for our times. You will be the one that we can trust. You will be the one that will give us direction. You will be the one that will show us the way. Lord, help us to rely on you. We seem so self-reliant in all that we have. In all the provisions that we have materially. Lord, are we losing our reliance upon you? If so, restore it. And Lord, we don't understand your ways. And your ways may seem difficult and strange to us. But maybe it is for our best. Maybe you know, you do know best. And maybe it is as a loving father administers to his children. A chastisement that will build them up. And strengthen them. And give them a new understanding of who he is. And what he can do for us. In our individual lives. You are one that knows us individually. Lord we pray for the children this holiday time. We pray for the summer camps that are run. We pray that you would be there in the midst of them. Let them have fun. But we pray above all that they would see who Christ Jesus is. Be with the leaders as they speak about Christ. Be with them as they share testimony. Be with them as they stand and give short talks to them. Lord, enrich them. May your spirit be with you. May these young lives have their eyes opened to commit themselves to you. Lord, we pray that you will be with us as we come to worship you. Lord, instill within us a heart of worship and praise. You are the creator of all things. You have given us much from your gracious hand. We have needs that are met, continue, in ways that other people do not have. We have food, we have shelter, we have safety, we have peace, we have freedom to come and worship you, Lord we pray, that you would be one that would sustain these things, for we cannot sustain them. we pray, be with us, keep us in our health and strength. we ask, and all these things we ask in the name and power of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If we could turn turn now to a reading of scripture, and we'll take that from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, from the beginning. That is the account of the the wedding in Cana, where Jesus changes the water into wine. Let us hear God's word. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. The servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This was the first of the miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Amen. the reading of God's word, be a blessing to each of us. If we could turn back to the passage that we read together, and if we could look at verse 11. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. We think about this account. Before we begin, begin at this passage. I'm sure many of you will have seen these programmes on the telly on a Saturday evening, where someone comes along for an audition, and there are a panel of judges will watch to see what this person will do for them, and we've probably watched these programmes before and. Sometimes someone will come along that's good. Someone Sometimes someone will come along that's terrible. And they think they're good. But every so often, and very rarely, someone will come in that will leave everyone in awe at what they have done. Whether it be singing or performing magic tricks or stunts or something like that. very rare that it happens. But the person is then recognized for this talent that they had, and it was a life-changing experience for them. Maybe a few people knew about that talent that they had, but they had never revealed it to anyone else until they were put on the stage, the stage had been set, they had been called to place, and they revealed what they could do. And they were recognized for it. And in a loose sort of way, we can parallel that to the passage that we have here. The stage has been set, Christ. All the background work has been done, and now Jesus is coming forth before the people so they can recognize who he is. And in many ways, it is a life changing experience for all who hear him. It's an hour of change, and to understand the scene of this wedding that we read of, it would have normal to have it over a number of days. And supposing that the wine had run out, it would have ended abruptly, and left the the bridegroom publicly humiliated as the man who had the wedding and ran out of the wine. But we know this was not the case for the bridegroom, and we know that it is not just a personal change of hour a change of hour for the people that were at the wedding. It is a far greater change and this change where Jesus manifested his glory is a new season as it were a great change and even a change that we know the benefits of as we sit here and gather tonight it's like the appearing of the sun on a cloudy day it is a revelation of the glory of God out of his loving kindness and grace to sinners and the clouds part for men, under this miracle, this is Jesus revealing who He is. The clouds are parting, and this is a time that would have left everyone talking about that era and that time. This was Jesus of Nazareth. He, they ran out of wine, and He filled He had the, the the stone jars filled with water, and they were all turned into wine. And you can imagine everyone talking about this. This was the first maybe sign, of a pointer towards this great man, this Messiah that was to come. There's a great change of this new season of grace that would come through Jesus Christ. May the clouds of obscurity in our souls be taken away. May the sun shine through in our hearts tonight. And may we see the beauty of Jesus Christ as we look at this account, where he reveals himself to the people, may he reveal himself to us tonight. So with our mind on the passage, this first miracle of Jesus, we have to begin with a conversation with his mother that he calls himself, he addresses her as a woman. So let us look at this woman. We can read there from the beginning of the chapter. From verse 1, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever you he tells you. We know this woman is his mother. It tells us there in verse four. And if somebody said to addressed address someone like this today, What are you doing, woman? It would it would almost be like harsh or disrespectful. But in fact, for their time this was a respectful term, it was quite the opposite. And we find this same term that he addresses his mother as a woman at the cross. But that's in John 19, where he says, Woman, behold your son. It's a respectful term. It's maybe something equivalent of addressing someone as a missus or a lady. Either way, whatever we can uh, understand it being, it is respectful, which we must understand first, which he taught us we all should be respectful to our mothers. But really, what is interesting is what they say to one another. As mother comes stating, to him that they have no wine. They have no more wine, she says. And he responds with, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And we can ask, well, what was, what was this time that he meant? Because we know Jesus actually went on to create a hugely significant time in his subsequent actions by changing the water into wine. And it would seem to contradict his old words when he's saying, now is not the time. What does this have to do with me, as I was translated? My era has not yet come. Why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And there are all sorts of suggestions about this. What does it mean? Some say that, well, it states that the, the wine was gone there at the beginning of verse 3, which when you take it in the Greek, it says, well, it doesn't, it hasn't actually all run out there, by the way they've worded it. But then, it says that, at the end of verse 3, they have no more wine. And that is as clear as that, in the Greek as well. So, they would say that the wine hadn't quite ran out, and Jesus was waiting for the wine to run out, so that he could do this miraculous miracle, and not just so that people would think that, well, he diluted the wine into the jar, or, or understand it like that. He was waiting for them to be empty. It doesn't seem to fit, because they have that. They have no more wine at the end of verse 3. Now, his mother clearly stated that. And Augustine said that the hour that is referenced here, the time that has not yet come, he referenced it would be a time of his death, going, going right to the other end from the beginning of his ministry, to the end of his ministry. And you look at J.C. Ryle, and then he says, no, that's too far-fetched. It must have been something else. But we need to look at what's going on. And what Mary, what's basically happening when you take a step back, you see, Mary is trying to direct or tell Jesus to fix the situation, to do something about it as his mother. But you see, Jesus is growing older now. And you know, as many people Become teenagers, they stop listening to their mothers, naturally. But Jesus was the Son of God, primarily. And he was the worldly son of Mary. And the way I'm understanding it is that, in line with what Augustine is saying, it's the time of his death. Basically, what I think is that he's saying to his mother that you cannot have the same authority authority over me anymore Jesus is to be directed by his heavenly father from now on and he will only be under the authority of the man in a time when he allows it the time of the cross and until that time when he allows man to have authority to direct the son of man no one will tell him what to do no man nor woman will have authority over the actions of the son of man Not until that time. And maybe that's why he called her a woman. You are my worldly mother. But with all respect, you must be as a woman to me now. And you might think then, well, does it not say that a sword would go through the heart of Mary when Simeon spoke about this baby that she would hold in the temple? That she must almost let go of this son that she has brought up. And he addresses her again at the cross, what Augustine is saying, as a woman. And then is a time where he gives her a son. John, the disciple whom he loved, he gives her a son. He talks with her as, with all respect. He makes her a mother. And it seems like what he's saying here is that he's saying to Mary, it's a time now where you need to let me be the son of God. And then what it follows through there, it says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Others translated, what does this have to do with me? And when you look at the old Greek again, it says, it has the words me and you in it. Why do you involve me? It has there. What is it to me and you? Is literally what it says. And maybe the AV translated better. What have I to do with you? Dear woman, What do? You, why do you involve me? There's so many different translations of this. You get so muddled up as I am with the wording of it. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Is what we have here. The AV puts it, what do I have to do with thee? And that's maybe closer to what we have in the Greek. What do I have to do with you? And it's completely different. What do I have to do with thee? What do I have to do with you? This is what's happening. But what that does, it gives us an impression, again, of separation. What do I have to do with you? As we're trying to understand this, what's going on? Maybe separation is a harsh word, Jesus, that you would use between Jesus and his mother. More of an, we could say, an incompatibility, where Jesus, the Son of God, not be directed by his worldly mother anymore. And he's saying it's incompatible that we would work like this. I must be the son of God and be directed by him. You know, whatever, whatever this time is, it is hugely significant. It is a time where he is manifesting his glory before his family, friends. He's manifesting his glory publicly now. But who would have expected to see the water being turned into wine? Proving his power beyond our understanding, and no doubt he would have left or oh, everyone that was there in awe of what he had just done. And his mother says something else then. Verse 5, his mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. And if there was ever a word that the mother would have to confess now, if that's what was meant by an incompatibility between them, It is that she must have to admit, do whatever he says. Not do what I say or do what I think he should do. Listen to what Jesus says. And you know, if there's ever a word the Christian should hear, it should be do whatever he, Christ, says to you. If there's ever a word that the unbeliever should hear, it is do whatever Christ says to you. And a mother's word is sometimes the best advice for us. But you know what, it may be a very fearful thing for a Christian mother to say, to listen to what Christ tells you to do. It may mean that she may have to let go of her daughter and her son in listening to what Christ has for the person. It can be a very hard thing for a mother to admit and say, do Whatever he tells you. But a faithful mother will know that that will be the best thing for them, And it will be the best thing for her too. Maybe Christ has something for us to do. I don't know what he is saying. And sometimes these things are hard to admit to. They are hard to submit to. And often we wish it was something as easy as putting water into a jar. So let us look now at the water. we have looked at the woman, let us look at the water. Let us read from verse 6. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn it, the water knew. We're told there were six stone jars presented to us here, of which we have two details about their use, which was for cleaning, Jewish rites of purification, and their size, which is great, because then we can imagine what we've got in front of us, or what they had in front of them. And it says that they were 20 to 30 gallons, so just to picture that, you can buy a 120 litre drum, um, that's roughly about 25 gallons, so a right slap bang in the middle, and you'll have seen them drums before, they're like, you can buy a blue plastic one, probably from the table they are up to about that high, usually blue, black pop on lid, they get repurposed for all sorts of things, you'll see them lying at the end of crofts and full of water and things like that. you can imagine that? It's a lot of water. It's an awful lot of wine. And you have six of them. Which kinda of gives us the impression that this had he run out of wine, the bridegroom, he would have been humiliated because there was so much wine needed afterwards. You know, if it went on for days were they only on day one or two, he would have been humiliated if he had underestimated the use the amount of wine he needed. And these stones, these jars were told they were not plastic, but were stone. And this is imagined that the stone would have kept the water clean. For cleansing purposes, it was important for the Jew to wash his hands and feet at least, if not more, before they entered and gathered for eating. They would wash also implements that used for food, they would wash seating at times. So the water was important to them. But what does Jesus do at this moment? He tells them to fill the jars up with water, right to the brim. What were the guys that were doing the filling expected? If they were using this water for cleaning people, utensils, seats, and Jesus tells them to fill them all up, you know, what would they have been expecting? Who's coming, I imagine? How many people are coming? There must be loads of people coming. Whatever it was, there was an abundance coming. Jesus gave them an expectation, a great expectation, but he had worked it in a way that they never expected. It's almost like an insight into Jesus' life. This is the beginning. There is far more to come in his life. This is the first miracle. There is far more to come. Jesus gives the one who listens to him an expectancy of abundance. And the Christian, we should be like these servants, listening to what Christ says to us, obeying his word. And often we don't understand things. The men that filled the jars, they wouldn't have understood what Jesus was doing, but they were obedient to what he was saying. And you know what? Every pour that they put into these jars, God used for his glory. The mundane things that we do, that God orders; He can use it for his glory. And we don't understand. We don't see how these things will outwork. But he can use us. And use these small things. These jars were vital to Jewish customs. And what does Jesus do? In essence, he does away with them all. You don't need to wash your hands anymore. Jesus filled them all with wine. The Jews picked up on people not washing their hands. The Pharisees picked up on people not washing their hands in Jesus' company. And they condemned him for it. You know, your, your disciples aren't washing their hands. And I believe from the outset of Jesus' ministry, in this his first public miracle, he's saying to the Jewish people, I'm going to change your ways. Your rituals, your ceremonies, your laws, you're not going to need them anymore. No one at this wedding is going to need to wash their hands anymore. I am going to take away everything that you know. And I'll change it. I, the Christ, will clean you. That's what he's saying to me. He is the one that will absorb their feelings. Absorb the dirt of their lives. And he will meet every requirement of the law for them. And he will take the entirety of it. He will absorb all the filth of our lives that he leaves with us. The riches of his provision for us to enjoy. He leaves with us a great taste that we may enjoy. The water is not required anymore. This is a new season. This is a change of air as Jesus is recognized. And it gives us an expectation. And he manifested his glory by making the water into wine. So we've looked at the woman. We've looked at the water. Let us look at the wine. And I'll read quickly from verse 9. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not realise where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. The water became the best tasting wine of all. And how it happened leaves us in awe. There's no direct command that Jesus speaks to the water jarge. There's no indication that this is what he was going to do. It makes us all the more difficult for us to understand how he outworks things in our lives, even today, and how he did these miracles. But this was him revealing who he was. So people would recognize him as the Savior, as the Messiah. His wedding was the manifestation, the beginning of his revealing of his glory. And in a sense, what he's saying to the people is, I want you to taste and see that I am good, to taste the riches of his grace, that you may enjoy what he will do for them. And when you look at the story, the wine in this passage saved the bridegroom from embarrassment, as we said, and it was all given graciously from Jesus. And you can imagine the bridegroom standing there afterwards and someone coming up and speaking with them he would say, why did he do it for you? And he would say, Well, I don't know why, but he did. And all he will be able to say is, this, it wasn't me. It wasn't anything about me. It wasn't because I'm better than anyone else that Jesus did this for me. It was all of his grace. And it was all of the man Jesus Christ that did it. I don't know why. And that's what every Christian can say. I don't know why Jesus has given me the riches of his grace in my life. But we are ones that are forever thankful for what he has done for us. (coughs) The world will offer you wine. And the world will offer you everything it can. And people consume what the world offers. And maybe we are guilty of taking what the world gives to you. It is a wine that is got a pure taste to it. It never satisfies man what the world offers. And the sad thing about it is that people can become so drunk by what the world offers that when the good wine comes along they never identify it. We become amused with sins that distract us in many ways. That when the gospel comes it gets thrown out as an unwanted proposal. And we and others can get accustomed to these tastes and do not taste the best thing that they could ever receive. In fact they spit it out. To spit out the gospel message, the good news, and bring them to salvation. that can satisfy their need, but there was a time that did come for Christ, and a time when He did hand Himself over into the power of man. And it was the hour of greatest change. His death at Calvary is like a rich wine out of His love that was given to His people, and where God would glorify the Son. And still has given them an expectation of what is to come. He is the one that transformed the Old Testament into something far richer than his death. It's like the old laws and the old ways were like water. But through the death of Christ and what he has done, there is so much flavour added to the old ways. And all these old laws, all these old rituals... All are enriched and point everyone towards Christ. From things that seem so bland, like water, they are so enriching to the people. And we understand these old ways through Christ. Everything is understood through Christ. I have no doubt that everyone who has tasted what Christ has done has found it wonderful. And the first thing they would have told Well, maybe not. I was going to say, the first thing they would have told someone was, have you tasted this wine? Maybe to our shame we don't do that. Maybe that's an easier thing to do with wine. We taste the wine and we say to someone, have you tasted that wine? And to our shame, when Christ comes to us and reveals himself to us. We should be ones that are like that. Say, have you tasted this wine? Have you tasted Christ? Have you seen what he can do for you? Have you felt and knowing the riches of his grace. And that's a challenge. That we share what he has done for us in our lives. We as Christians should be enjoying the wine and glorifying the winemaker. Enjoying his provisions and glorifying him. To glorify him and enjoy him forever. The change he works in us. The change he works in their day speaks of Conversion. Something that was bland, now full of flavour. This is the work of Christ, which changes water into wine, and likewise can change the sinner into a saint. Maybe you don't think yourself of anything special. Maybe you don't think yourself of any great work. But Jesus has the power to change every one of us. And we are all born alive. You know, maybe we are guilt, so, so guilty of looking at other people and thinking, They're better than us, or we're better than them, when really, as a matter of fact, we're all the same. Who is better than anyone else? We are all liable to the same temptations. We are all liable to the same sins. We all have our failings, we all have our weaknesses. We shall all die. Who is better than anyone else? We are all born alike. We are failed in eyes of God, and we need a Saviour to redeem us, to set us right before God. Because our sins have set us apart from God, and in a sense, we're like a water—a water bottle. Every one of us is like a water bottle when we're brought into this world. And what Christ does, uh, the riches of His grace, is that He changes us, change the jar of water into a wine, and He changes the person into something far more valuable, something with great. Taste. We don't have all of great tastes. But you know what I mean. Something that tastes so wonderful. Something that is precious. Something that has fermented over time. And maybe it will take time for us to become like wine. That Christ would be frying us bit by bit. But you know, if you put wine into a water bottle, the world would laugh at you, wouldn't they? What are you doing? You're putting wine in a water bottle. And that's exactly what the world does to the Christian, they laugh at you. They don't understand it. It's, it's silly that you would believe in this Saviour that died on the cross 2,000 years ago. That we know the taste. And we know that it is wonderful to us. I pray that each of us would enjoy that taste more and more. And know the taste of this wonderful grace in our lives, the riches of this beauty. That he would make each one of us pure. That he would refine us. He will be our master because we must be accepted by the master of the banquet. And the only way that we will be received into the master's home, the great banqueting feast, is that if he accepts us. And the only way that he'll accept us is if Christ has refined, if Christ has changed us from water into wine. We pray that we know what that is like. And that we would be accepted as ones cleansed by the powerful word of Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen. May these thoughts be blessed to us. close for the word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gathered people. We pray that you would be with them as they part. We pray that we would know your spirit, guidance and keep us. We pray that you would open our eyes to the salvation we find in the Lord Jesus Christ that he may renew us. That he would be one that we would place our trust in. And that he is one that we can trust in for all eternity. No matter what is thrown before us in the steps and walks of life. That we would be ones. That we would be faithful to you. And that we would receive great riches from your hand as we do. Be with us as we part. Forgive us our sins we pray. This is the thoughts and words of our gathering. All these things we ask in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.